All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Igbra, and joined with me is the captain, Mr. Andy Full. What's going on, dude? Not a whole lot. Uh, just so everybody is aware, we have another captain joining us here in a little bit as well. So, which is kind of cool. But, you know, I still can't get over the fact you call me the captain every time. I, think I called you at one time, and then people just like stuck. started calling you it. So I was like, okay, I guess it's sticking. We're just going to leave it here. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. What's up yeah. with you? I heard you lost an expensive crankbait today fishing from shore. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> no, I uh, I uh, got a bunch of my work done today. I got it done early and uh, talked with my team. We had nothing left to do, and I was like, well, man, like, didn't think it would happen because our the time stupid time uh, time change like the sunsets at like four thirty for us now, and uh, I was like, oh yeah, I got two hours. I can probably go fishing. And uh, the weather at the radar at the moment said we'd be good until four o'clock, but uh, we all know that you know the what these weather apps are sucking more and more nowadays. So uh, that was not the case. Drove over to a spot to uh, you know try to take the kayak out for a couple hours and. Um, decided to get some work done first in terms of like trying to get some content done, get some photos for our sponsors and all that jazz and, uh, decided to, to take a couple casts from the shore quick, just to see if, you know, maybe some fish were moved up shallow and, uh, lost a $20 OSP that I literally just got in the mail a couple days ago. Ouch. Uh, yeah. Big ouch. ouch. But. Uh, ended up throwing uh, the Berkeley stun around for a while, and I caught like 20 fish in a matter of 45 minutes, just throwing a jerkbait around the bank. Uh, so I decided not to even launch. <laughs> I just walked the bank and went old school. It was like the first time I fished from the bank since probably college, hmm. to be honest. Uh, so it was kind of fun just, just walking the bank, catching them on a jerkbait, some three-pounder, three-pound smallmouth. So uh, it was kind of fun little quick outing today. Got some stuff done and uh, hopefully get a couple more. Uh, trips out this weekend on the Hobie because uh, Mr. Andy here is busy with his guide business. So for really quick for folks before we get into today's show, which is going to be <coughs> a good one and time relevant, but uh, for folks curious, what openings do you have? Mm. So right now I have next Saturday, um, actually Thursday, Friday, Saturday next week, and then Monday. And that's pretty much it until after Thanksgiving. Well, we'll uh, when we get our guest on today, for folks obviously tuning in, uh, Mr. Stephen Carey from Fish Sense and uh, the man, Mr. Kurt Hofig, who uh, is also a guide. When we get him on here in a second, we'll, uh, we'll ask him about his dates, too. For folks that are missing out, you need to uh, hitch a ride with this dude because you'll want yeah, to learn how to learn. You, probably one of the greatest people I've ever seen. <laughs> but also, it, if you just want, if it has gills, he will put you on them. We'll, we'll leave it at that for now. We'll get into it in a little bit. Uh, but a couple things before we get into today's show is uh, – oh, where'd I go? I just moved my window over. Okay, I'm back. Um, is the Hobie TOC, the Tournament of Champions, is going on. Day one is – for folks tuning in, this is a Friday. Uh, you uh, Day one is happening right now as we speak. So uh, good luck to all those guys, the top 50 at Fish the Hobie Trail this year. And uh, good luck to our, our boy, Zach Hall, who's competing in that one. Obviously, hope he comes home with the dub. So Where is that him? tournament? Uh, Lake Eufaula, Alabama. Mm. Yep. So good luck to Zach. Good luck to everybody. Hope everyone stays safe. No alligators in the kayak this week. Uh, so yeah. hopefully all goes well. Some guys are catching giants in practice. So 
Well, that's Sounds good. Like it's shaping up decent. But in other news, uh, as everyone knows, we have a uh, 35% off sale for Hobie Eyewear that's still running. Uh, and it's only running for a couple of days and until the 14th. So make sure you guys are getting that in, especially if you want to get some uh, really nice Christmas presents, stocking stuff for, for a very cheap price, you know, high-performing shades for dirt cheap using that discount code. So it's Series 35. We got it down the link in the description. Uh, make sure you guys go check that out uh, if you're in the market for some good shades. Um, and speaking on that, Hobie actually released their full 2022 schedule. Ooh. So uh, Mr. Drew Gregory, uh, Gregory will be coming back on whenever the heck Bass decides to do Unload their uh, kayak schedule. We'll have a uh, whole kayak show coming up for you guys here soon. I'm sure that should be relatively soon. I'd hope so. I would assume. Um, <coughs> and then the last thing for folks that are tuning in through Apple Podcasts, if you guys are listening right now through Apple Podcasts, if you guys could leave a rating and review out big time. And uh, we appreciate it nonetheless. But, uh, I, folks, I think uh, today's show is going to be really exciting. We got Steven on uh, pro- probably almost – what, same time this time last year? Yeah, I believe so. I believe. I want so. to ask him when we bring him on here, but uh, we're going to be talking some Binskis, some blade baits, and uh, we got one of the best guys, uh, you know, on the show here today who's never been on. His first time getting on the show. One of the best guys with the Binsky, so we're pretty pumped to get him on here and maybe uh, maybe unlock a little bit of juice from him if he, if he's willing to let some of it maybe. Go. <laughs> he's giving the smirk now. I don't know if we're, we're it seems low percentage. I don't know if he's letting it go. <laughs> I think without further ado, we'll bring them on the show here. Mr. Stephen Carey and Kurt uh, Kurt Hofig. What's going on, boys? How you doing, guys? Um, Kurt, I have to apologize first thing because I pronounced uh, on the last show when I preluded who's coming on for Friday, I said Kofig, not Hofig for your last name. Uh, that, that's what it looks like on Instagram. It's it's no big deal. <laughs> yeah, so I, I apologize for screwing it up. As someone who has had my last name butchered my entire life. I should be ashamed for, for messing up your last name. So no, you're good. <laughs> well, boys, uh, Steven, obviously it's good to get you back on the show, dude, and see your face, get to talk to you a little bit. And uh, Kurt, uh, we're glad to finally have you on the show, man. I mean, we've been seeing uh, the Binsky been used year-round uh, on your Instagram, your social media posts, which, as we said offline, I don't know how the heck you can do it with a blade bit year round. So I'm very intrigued on how you're getting these fish to trigger. Cause I think a lot of us have a lot to learn with the bid ski right now. Well, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate it. Heck yeah. Well, dude, I think what we'll do, Steven first catch us up on what's been happening with you since the last time we talked to you. And it's been what a year since we last. I, had was, I don't know, man. I'm just like, I'm in a vortex here. So, um, nah, just been really busy. Uh, things are ramping up, you know, our, obviously the Binsky sales, they trickle in, but this is now the time where sales are amping up, putting them in every day. Um, been real busy with my full-time gig, to be honest, you know, it's taken up a lot of time, a lot of changes, a lot of responsibility. So it's kind of just been, the months have been flying by trying to fit it all in and fish, get some personal fishing time in. But, uh, I always make sure I squeeze that in. I was just in Champlain, uh, a month now I was there. Uh, end of October, 16th turtles up there. What was that? Catching them on the Bansky? Yeah, you know what? Our deepest fish, we got uh, a smallie in 56 foot, flat on bottom on the Binsky. Wow. Yeah, fishing in Mallets Bay up there. And uh, it was tough, man. The winds, Champlain, you know. <laughs> huh. We had 30 mile an hour winds the first day. <laughs> I scratched. I didn't bother going up. 
and then we did a had six days where we had constant wind, driving rain, had one nice day, and of course it was clear blue skies, not a lick of wind. So you go from one oh, extreme, here. yeah, right, <laughs> one extreme bad to the other extreme bad. Sounds like Champlain. You go to one end of the lake and it looks like a monsoon, and you drive thirty minutes south in the lake and it looks clear as day and no wind or you know clouds, rain whatsoever. It's beautiful. Sounds right. Like yeah. It sounds like New York, quite frankly. Your ass kicked, but you wouldn't have any other way, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Well, well, Kurt, dude, it's like we said, it's good to finally get you on the show. And uh, for folks who may not know yet, tell you a little bit about yourself. You know what you do. Uh, we understand your guide as well. So, uh, you know, like my question to Andrew, if you got some upcoming days open where people want to learn how to use the Finskis, feel free to plug that away, my friend. Let's see. I feel like he's busy, though, every day because he always has <laughs> new pictures of clients with fish. So I get my daily yeah. dose of some species getting ripped in the face by a Binsky from Kodak. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been doing my fair share of Binsky in these past, past couple weeks. But basically, I'm a full-time guide on the Finger Lakes. Uh, just started that up like this past spring and it's lucky enough started super fast and uh, basically we've been guiding since mid-May um, and it's, it's gone real quick. I've basically taken the past couple weeks off just to kind of fish for myself and get some Binsky fish to myself instead of being, I consider myself like an Olympic level net man instead of really. <laughs> I, wanted catch, I wanted to catch a couple fish myself so I kind of... <laughs> Laid low on the guiding uh, aspect of things the past couple weeks online advertising and just kind of fish for myself. But uh, lake trout are about to stop spawning. Um, and then once they stop spawning in Cayuga, it's like a shallow sleigh fest. So that should be any day now. And I'll, I'll, I'll be picking the chips back up in like maybe a week or so. Heck yeah. Uh, if you like guys have not seen some of the Lakers that Kurt catches out there, Go to the show notes and just browse through his social media for a second. And then you'll probably want to book, you know, a guy trip, you know, in the next week. Like he says, dude, those, those suckers are mean. Yeah. They're, they're a fun fish, man. They get a weird rap from the trollers, but you catch them on smallmouth tackle. It's a good time. Yeah. Well, the trollers don't like to put any effort into their fishing. Right. So exactly. that's why we, why they get a bad rap. They're, they're freaking fun, man, because they eat everything you put in their face as long as it's moving fast. Right. Right. They're, they're, they're like the Wahoo of freshwater. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, uh, I think to what we're going to do to kind of dive into here. Um, I think first things first is Steve. I'd like to, I know we talked about it in the original show and for folks who want to get more on the Binsky that we might miss tonight. The original show is also linked down below. But uh, Steve, what is the uh, let's let's dive into the origin of the Binsky again, real real quick for folks who may not know how it all started. So it just started with, you know, we were talking pre-show, just all of our introductions to blade baits. You know, they've been around for so long, um, and they just everyone's enamored these days with just the look of other baits, right? It's all about look, and people forget about functionality. And then I just you know, I always had them and then I really dived into them and it just was like a sleigh fest, you know, and, you know, I was using a particular brand and I'm like, you know, I just feel that for it being the most popular one in the market, the profile could be better. I went on their website and they're talking about like how their half ounce was the most popular, but their quarter ounce had the best vibration. And I'm like, why wouldn't you want your most popular to have just as equal vibration? 
And I just felt you could get more out of it. And I thought, you know, when you're looking at blades and you see new ones coming out all the time, and I believe me, I own every one. I need to know what my competition's like. So I know what my customers are feeling like when they buy mine and compare it. And you see their own underwater footage. And me and Kurt have talked about this. You know, you could jig it like this much to get 10 vibrations. And I feel I designed the Binsky because I felt I can get it in that much of a jig. You know what I mean? And when you're talking cold water, that's going to make a difference. And I wanted to get the functionality into a better profile, more appealing. So, you know, went through some prototypes, designed it with an engineer. Uh, just it was getting around this time of year when I had, you know, a final prototype. It didn't take long. Literally, we the second prototype, I think, was out of the box, good to go. And gave it to a bunch of guys in the Winter League. And one of my buddies came back and was like, dude, it came, it like took for a second, third. So I'm like, you're saying put in production. He's like, oh, yeah. So, you know, took it, took it to a lake. My first catch on the Binsky was in like 30 foot of water and it was a bullhead catfish. I saw it coming to, I was jigging the Binsky to see the vibration in that depth. And uh, I had a Markham underwater camera and there was some bluegill going up to it. And the next thing you know, I just saw a brown tail and I'm looking in the camera. My rod just went like this. It's that looking big bullhead, but that's how it just started, man. You know, that's it's awesome. Cool. So, so you guys like literally, you guys went pretty, you know, deep into like literally even counting the vibrations per a certain rod pull and like. <clears throat> oh oh yeah, you talk about kind of like the the R and D behind, you know, the Binsky in terms of like what kind of tests you put it through. Yeah, so it, it was just like you know unfinished. Took it out in the water and just fished it. Um, you know, and I, I felt, you know, I had a lot of experience with other blades because I've literally, while I was designing one engineer, I was buying every one. Like there was a blade bait. I don't think they even make it anymore. Like the Lucky Craft uh, symbol. I remember it was like almost gimmicky. It was like split in half. It was supposed to like knock or something. Um, but I bought like all these Japanese ones. And I, again, I wanted to know what I was going to be going up against. And I just already knew what it felt like when I was fishing these other blades in 40 foot of water. You know, even when I did my first outdoor show, guys would be walking down the aisle and one guy would point to our bait and the other guy would be like, oh, you know, silver buddy or something like that. And I'd grab and be like, all right, if you're familiar with that and had a tall vertical tank, I'm like, I, I'll give you a bunch of free baits. I'll pay you if you think you could feel that the same in 40 foot of water as, as you do the Binsky. And to me, that was just a proof in the pudding, man. I was able to get more vibration, you know, I, you know, because overworking blades is one of the biggest issues. And, and even with the Binsky, like sometimes like I'm staring at my buddy and it's not just jig until you catch, you have to change it up. You have to feel what's going on. And I feel that you're just so in tune with the Binsky. It allows you to do that. Yeah. So it was just a lot of testing and the results were good. You know, and like I said, I had my opinion, but I wanted to get other guys, you know, and it really helped. We had some great local support when we came out. Guys started catching on it right away. It was on uh, message boards like NJ Bass Ang Angler, which isn't around anymore. But I mean, that's how Kurt got a hold of it through, you know, there's a lot of buzz back then, Kurt, right? I mean, yeah, I remember when I, when I was like a, like a little, not a little kid, but when I was, young into fishing i remember hearing about it at tournaments i was like dang what is this thing i was like a young dude i'm like hey i gotta get i gotta get me a couple binskis and the local support really helped really helped so thank you eric warino you know he lit, lit, lit it up you know we, hey, we met water 
What was that? My good buddies. Yeah, he did. He's yeah. one of the ones that really turned. I always knew about it with trout. He's one of the ones that really turned me on to like fishing it for like cold water bass. And especially going back to what you said, like not overworking it. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes a lot of people make is it's a bait you can, first of all, it's a bait you can cast super far. So everyone's mm -hmm. equal when they first pick one up is to bomb at 50 yards. When a lot of the time I'm only making like 30 foot casts right in front of the boat to where I think there's fish and I'm barely moving it. Like, and that's where what Steve was saying with the contact, a lot of people, when they come on my boat and they watch me fish it, they're like, that's all you're doing. And I'm literally moving my rod like inches at a time, just so I can get a click or two out of the bait and putting it back down. And that's where the Binsky shines over any other blade, because a lot of blades, you got to really rip them to get them to go. The Binsky is just as soon as you pull it, it's, it's vibrating. Yeah, yeah, and I think, and I, I like to dive into that because I think that's a lot of people's deal, right, is to, you know, a lot of guys will either bomb it, you know, rip it off the bottom a couple times, they'll drop it straight down, rip it hard a couple times, they don't get anything, though, but then they're probably going to switch over to something different because they don't really give it the the full committed effort or to, you know, bring some some very uh, different variances into your retrieve. And I'm, I'm guilty in that. I'll fully come out and say that I'm guilty of that a couple times, too, is – I won't play around with the cadence before I start switching to something else. So I think, you know, for not just myself and for Andy and for folks listening, but like, let's, let's hear uh, kind of some different cadences that you guys like to play with, with the Binsky, maybe some things that people overlook. I think, you know, one thing is like Kurt said, like everyone wants a bomb because you can cast it far, but let get there with the boat and do the shorter cast. Like Kurt said, you're, if you know, you're going to fish it, just get there first and do the shorter cast, you know, and then as far as the cadence, I think the Beatles said it best, man. Let it be. I think because the it's metal, people are thinking like, well, it's metal. It's going to look like a bottle cap sitting there. I got to keep it moving for it to be alluring. But the problem is, is it was alluring from when you jigged it the first couple times and it vibrated. You got to call those fish in. If you're a blip, 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 and it's gone, you know, watch fish in the fish tank. You get their attention from a far distance and you can see it on live right now, like mm -hmm. jig it. And that fish is traveling. You got to give it time to get there, look at it, tilt on it and then hit it. It's okay to let that piece of metal just sit on bottom. I mean, I've, I've been jigging it with a slow cadence and want to mess with my electronics. And I got my rod in my hand and I just feel a tap and I just look up and fish just picked it off the bottom. Um, so, you know, I know another thing is, everyone asks about uh, line and your blade's going to react different with different lines. And I know like everyone's like, you use, wow, you just use 12 pound mono. Let me clarify that. I am extremely in tune from when I was blading always with that pound test and how the bait would react. So if you're going to use braid or you're going to go back and forth, you need to know that it's going to be different. No stretch. It's going to come up higher. It's going to react different. So I'm not saying you got to use this pound test, but you better look at that bait in the water, you know, at the ramp if it's clear and you get some depth underneath it and look to see the difference. You have to be in tune over what you're jigging above the water translates to below because it's going to be different with those pound tests. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and Kurt, so like, is there anything you kind of add on that? Like maybe, uh, well, touch upon, because uh, you mentioned how you, you know, 30 foot pitches, you let your very, you know, little picking up on the rod, you know, how do you know what variants, you know, fish want? Like, is it something you let them tell you? Do you have kind of like a, a set cadence that you always start with and then have like a kind of a 
I don't know, a standard procedure, I guess, is a, for lack of a better term, of how you kind of change things up, see what they want? I, I have a pretty standard procedure with it, and it kind of goes back. When I have people on my boat and I'm telling them, kind of explaining, like it's their first time throwing a Binsky or a blade in general, their their inclination is to do these like big rips, kind of like what Steve was saying, with, where it's a piece of metal. They feel like they got to like slam it with the rod to like entice the fish. And I kind of tell them the way I describe it is I tell them you're trying to play a really short, slow game of catch with the bottom. So I'm basically picking it up and I'm, I'm putting it down and I'm just all I'm going for is basically two or three vibrations. This is how I start out a lot of the time going for like two or three vibrations and then I put it down. I don't just like drop my rod so there's slack because everyone knows when you're fishing jigging baits like 90% of the bites come on the fall and a lot of times you just feel them knock it. Sometimes they hit it really hard. Sometimes they just barely flick your line and you're like, wait, was that a fish? And you lift up and he's on there. But Basically, I, I have like a really slow blade tendency and that goes like for 75% of the time. There's definitely times when like longer sweeps or like hard cracks can kind of entice bites when there's fish that you know that are there that aren't biting. But a lot of times for me, a really slow kind of methodical um, cadence seems to be the deal. And it's one of those lures to me where you got to square up to it and you got to focus on every single five seconds you're fishing it. It's not a, it's not a Carolina rig where you can get just kind of cast it out and just kind of like work it around. You got to like think about what's going on every twitch. It's one of those like real focus baits is what I would like to call it. Yeah. Kind of just being, I'm trying to remember who had the, the kind of, was it Clun Andy that said uh, the total immersion where you're kind of trying like every single cast, you're trying to feel you're trying to be essentially picture what your bait is doing, what it's seeing. Yeah, I believe every that single was cast, you're devoting 100% of your attention to yeah, every exactly. detail. Exactly. And that can be a little bit of a daunting thing for someone that's just getting into the Binsky. But right. it's one of those things. I mean, it's for me, it's the best cold water lure multi-species I've ever used. So I just, I have that confidence in it where I can just sit there and like beam at my rod tip, just like, oh my God, while I'm fishing it. But it's one of those things you got to be like on your on game when you're fishing it because okay. a lot of times they don't they don't they don't it's not a bait they hold on to so you got to be there and you got to be ready for them. Yeah, the confidence is key, like you said, Kurt, because it allows you to focus on the things you're telling your clients to. I mean, if you're not focused, you don't recognize that the bottom just got slightly harder, and you're not maybe looking at your sonar to see that particular spot. And you can a hard patch like this can hold the fish. I've had it all the time where I'm talking to my buddies and I'm jigging it. And then I'm like, Ooh, man, that was a hard spot on bottom. Next lift fish is there. So if you get past your confidence and just don't worry, man, just get the cadence and all that. So you could focus on those little things. You're right. That you have to. Yeah. Somebody not paying attention isn't going to notice the difference between you know, that hard of a bottom in terms of composition change. Mm -hmm. But that's a really good point. And, you, and Steve, you mentioned how like, you know, let it be right. You know, having it on the bottom, uh, I used to be, I used to have that, that track mind of, you know, the Bincy's only going to work if you keep moving it because it is just a hunk of metal, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I couldn't tell you many times where, like, like you're saying, how you'd be messing with electronics or something. Well, with the kayak, sometimes I'm either touching electronics or, like, doing something with my steering, and I'll have my line just be sitting there, and I'll feel, boom, like, I'm doing nothing with it, and you just reel, and it's there. Like, you, like you're dragging a jig almost. It's, it's kind of crazy how, like... Fish don't really care, uh, I guess, what it is in the bottom, as long as the imitation looks similar to what they're trying to eat. Uh, and that, that track mind also kind of makes me, like, wonder 
of like there's like say there's a log or something in the water that people get snagged on all the time and leave baits like do fish just eat baits that have no line on them they're just snagged to random structure i don't know, random random thought i'll tell you what on more than one occasion i have had a fish eat my bait off a snag like i'm snagged on it and i'm going over to get it off and the next thing you know the fish picked it off like i got up in a small reservoir here kurt Assapink. i was fishing a small southern jersey lake and i was snagged on some wood on bottom and i'm pulling on it pulling out i'm going toward it. next thing you know the rod bowed five pound <laughs> mouth just picked it off it so, looking, you know what I mean? It probably had the front set of hooks and it was allowing the tail to move and it just pulled it right off the snag. So, uh, funny story, real fast. Me and Bailey went out Saturday and he had an A rig hung up on a rock and he ended up catching a double <laughs> as we we're going to get it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was twice that day it happened. So, I was cranking a rock crawler, got hung up on a rock and I'm popping it, trying to get it off, you know, like doing a line oh. trick and everything. And then I like, let it go slack as I'm using a trolling motor to get over to it. And I reel up my line. My line just starts going. And I was like, what the heck? I mean, Andy and I started laughing. And then later in the day, yeah, I was crawling on an A-rig on the bottom, get hung up, popping it, trying to get it off. My line starts shooting off like you're throwing like a, a fluke or something. Like it rocketed out, put up my line, it's bound down, and it was a double. But they just ate it off the bottom. Yeah. I, there's something to be said about that, though, like keeping that bait in place, letting it be, but also having – that realistic action that, you know, it's an easy pre- like a predator. It's an easy prey. Well, easy I think Kurt, Kurt mentioned cracking it, right? You used to work once in a while, crack it. But don't just also have the state of mind where it's like, well, it's either lay, soft, or crack. Do a crack, and then the rest of the cast practically is soft. Because think of in nature, when bait fish is dying, that's what it does. It's laying soft, but that's them last fighting for life, they write. Andrew just did the movement. Andy, do it one more time. <laughs> yep, there you go. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, they do a couple of those. Anyone's had a great yeah. fish in a bucket, right? That oh no, it's yeah. not trying to give it oxygen. It's doing those last kicks. <laughs> so again, even you know, in the fish sense, it's like you know, it strikes by recognition, and mm-hmm. but you're the one that needs to create that recognition with your body. <laughs> so it's the cracks, it's the lay down, it's the soft, like Kurt said. You know, I tell, it's just like the soft catch. You know, like I do a lot of, I don't really snap. And that's a good technique, but I just pull. And that's what I talk about the Binsky yeah. ability to kick in the gear quick is I'm in, I engage the blade. And then once it's engaged for that split second, I do the, I do a pull and then I just lay it, you know? Yeah. So I, I want to backtrack for a second. Um, and I know you guys are Binsky enthusiasts and will throw it all times of the year. It doesn't matter the month, date, whatever the calendar is telling you. But for folks that are getting new into the Binsky, blade baits, that technique, what are some of like the conditions, telltale signs to even you know get a blade bait out? And what are they looking for? Is it water temp? Is it, you know, is it like a weather condition, time of year? What are they looking for? Well, I mean, to me, the the Binsky excels in the fall. That's like just one of those kind of staple things about the bait. It's an all-year-round bait. But when the water's cooler, like definitely 60 or less, um, what really shines when it's from basically ice until, or I guess it'd be the other way around, but from 38 until 50 degrees, it seems to be like a really good sweet spot for the bait. Um, I'm not definitely not throwing it in lakes that are like, if you have a really shallow kind of like grassy largemouth lake that 
10 foot or something like that. That's not really a Binsky area to me. It's more of a deep water bait. That doesn't mean you can't catch them in 10 feet with the, with the blade because you definitely can. But look for those 15 to 30 foot zones. You can look deeper. You can look shallower. But that seems to be like a good sweet spot for someone that's just starting out. Um, and then for someone that's just starting out, I would start out with the half ounce just because I think it lets them get a really good feel for the bait. If they just start using the quarter ounce right off the bat, um, it can be a little harder for them to kind of understand what's going on. <coughs> half ounce seems to be a really good sweet spot for getting that feel going. Yeah, I think what you, I agree with everything you said. I think one of the, for the fall bite, when it, when it's really time for it is when it's a when the temperatures become a little bit much too low for those fish to chase, right? So that like the weather we've had, it's been mild. They're still offshore. They're chasing. But once their metabolism slows, they're not going to chase those fish all over the reservoir. They're going to start setting up in ambush points, the steep drop-offs with transitions or structure or boulders. So for the fall, I'd look for them when them temperatures dip to be on the chase mode. And then, you know, I know, guys, it's great because I have guys that, dude, I used the Binsky all year, man. I just crank it like a trap. I catch so many fish. And that's really <laughs> cool. All right, your prerogative. And they send me pictures, and it's awesome. That's the way they fish it. Um, and then, you know, I know a lot of guys who in the, use it in the summer and they use the quarter round. So they fall through the bait a little slower. Um, and again, when you talk to size, half ounce is a way to go because if you have a little wind and someone's new to it, it's a little tougher for them to feel it. Um, but one of the biggest things, and I'm sure we touched on this last year is do not underestimate the quarter ounce. Anytime I can get away with the quarter ounce. I'm throwing the quarter ounce. Yeah, that's what you slayed them on you and Jared, right? I, anytime I can get away with it. And I mean, sometimes depending on the line, if, I, if I'm in stiff wind, a lot of times fishing really light line that doesn't catch all the wind will let you fish that quarter ounce in like yep. conditions. But for me, especially with smallmouth, I just feel like I land a lot of fish on that quarter ounce. Obviously condition, condition dependent. You can't really throw it when it's blowing 20 miles an hour, but that quarter ounce is to me like one if it might be the best one, although I love them all so much. It's hard to really choose. Yeah. My buddy always starts out with the quarter when he can and don't let depth dictate. I mean, we've caught them in 50 foot on the quarter ounce. Just so, so the you're saying the quarter ounce is your go to from a, a hookup ratio standpoint, or is there any other factors that go into that? A little bit. of, And obviously I can, I can, Fish it. You can fish it really slow. You can fish the half ounce really slow, depending on line size. But for, I just feel like I get so many bites on smart fish with the quarter ounce. And like I was just up on Ontario, and I noticed this. Um, I don't know. It's, I haven't spent a ton of time up in Ontario. I'm more of a Finger Lakes guy. But the smallmouth up there have such small mouths. And I know that sounds like weird to say, but like you, you'd have this great big five, five and a half, six pound smallmouth, and they have like a mouth of like a two pound river small. It's like that and big. Just, like the, they were biting wow. half ounce, but I noticed my hookup ratio was just so much better with those fish just because they could, like they would T-bone the quarter ounce, and then the ones I was catching on the half ounce, I'd either miss them or I'd kind of have them like by the side, and I definitely noticed landing more fish with those ones on the quarter ounce. Sometimes they just don't want that half either. I've had days on the water where I went from not doing well to an absolute sleigh fest, didn't change color, changed size. And sometimes they just want the quarter. It's a little bit tighter vibration, maybe smaller. Maybe to them, it seems a little easier. Um, but 
size can definitely make a difference. I mean, what the other thing is when I get into this time of year, I want to save as much time as possible. I'll have like four rods up rigged up with the Binsky, even though it's on a clip, yeah. different color, different sizes. Cause I want to, I want to bomb an area, you know, I'm like, up, oh, didn't get one on the half ounce, throw the quarter there because you're eliminating so much water when it comes to this time of year. If you fish like an 800 acre reservoir, like you could eliminate 75% of it sometimes. Yeah. I, I want to smash that area with all the variables of that blade bait. Got it. So we just covered the quarter and a half ounce. When do you use the bigger one? When you want that quicker fall, again, they may react to it. Um, and contact, like we talked about earlier, you need to be able to feel it, have confidence that it's working right. You might take out a, a customer curtain, you know, even the half ounce won't, they're still new and that's not good enough because you're swinging the boat around and. Right. Yeah. For me, the, the three quarter is the, is the trout killer. I mean, it just gets down so fast. Um, you can, it's, it's definitely a, a, a faster fall bait and like a hundred percent of my lake trout on the Binsky basically are on a three quarter. That's just the way I fish and it's, it's really efficient for them. And we'll, we'll catch them. I mean, we will catch Binsky fish in 130 feet of water that come from the bottom on a three quarter ounce. People are like, doesn't it take so long to get down? And I'm, I'm fishing on 10 pound braid and spinning gear. It, it doesn't take as long to get down there as you'd think it would. If you're used to fishing deep like that. Yeah, I think it's flying down there. <laughs> yeah, probably like eight to nine seconds, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Say that again, Andy. I said I would. I would assume probably eight to eight to nine seconds for it to reach bottom, one hundred and thirty foot on ten pound braid. Right. I'm, I haven't quite timed it out, but it definitely gets down there faster than faster than you would think. Thinking about a three quarter ounce bait. Andy wants you to go out with a stopwatch next time and give back to him with your calculation of how exactly what time it takes to drop it in 130 foot of water. I'll do I did that last year, guys. I'll time it. I'll have a stopwatch and everything. Perfect. You're not allowed to catch fish until we have that time. All right. On the side of Binsky. <laughs> yeah. Make it official too to have like a whistle to, to open the bail. So somebody whistles, open the bail, and hit the go. The referee shirt. Yeah. We're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your marshal for the day. <laughs> That's good. So I think to kind of to really break this down, I'm very curious, Kurt and Steve. Uh, Andy, I'd like you to add your input into this as well. Is your your rod reel, and we talked about ten pound braid. And this is what brings me to this: is your rod reel line setups for the quarter ounce, the half ounce, and then Kurt, you mentioned you know using the three quarter for trial. I'm curious if that changes up your rod setup. Uh, I'm kind of curious the whole breakdown of you know does it change when you throw the different uh, different sizes, and you know are you throwing spinning, are you throwing bait casting, and uh, you know, Kurt start us off. Yeah, I mean, I think the rod to me is like the most crucial thing. Uh, when you're working the different baits, you definitely like first things first, everyone has their personal brands that they're partial to. You definitely want to use a rod that's really responsive. Um, and what I mean by that is even if something says it's fast action, you don't want to use a rod that has like a soft upper section to it because you're just going to be pulling on it. And I, I, I noticed it the other day. Um, my buddy was using this St. Croix Mojo Bass that has a really soft tip to it. It's a rod that I love, and it's really good for certain things. But I could see he was getting bites before he could feel it because it had such a sponge tip where where he immediately switched to a Phoenix M1. And it was like 
instant he could feel every single thing. So you definitely want to have a really, a really responsive tip. Uh, when I'm fishing a quarter ounce, I personally like a seven, seven foot one medium light spinning rod. Um, and I, I like like an eight pound braid with a 10 pound fluorocarbon leader. Reel is kind of like up to you, whatever reel, 2,500 or 3,000 size reel you like. Um, and then when I, when I throw the half ounce or the three quarter, I'll generally throw it on casting gear. Although if someone's not familiar with that, they can throw it on spinning gear just fine. Um, and then I'll run like a slightly larger size braid, 15, 20 pound braid. I don't really feel a need to go much much higher than that um, with like a 12 pound leader essentially. So personally, I the way I fish it and just, I've, I've done it with mono, I've done it with fluoro. For me, I like to fish it with braid, but I think it's because I've been using it so long I've done it a lot that I really like, I know what, what Steve was saying. I know how, what it's doing with grade, which is totally different than what it's doing with mono or what it's doing with fluoro. Um, but my style, I like to use a braid and I'm not really, it's, I'm not fighting them. Like it's 50 pound braid. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like jacking them in. I'm mm -hmm. fighting them light with it, but it's more of a contact thing for me. Well, and I think there's something to be said too, that like when you're fishing that thing deep and especially when you say you're catching them in 130 foot of water, that braid definitely helps put those trebles digging into their mouths. Right. Yeah. Contact and kind of just that direct, direct line to the fish. Uh, definitely. And even sometimes just, just with working it for me and like feeling bites, that's just the way I fish. And it seems to, it seems to do well for me. I know Steve says he likes it on mono or fluoro. Want to go into that? Yeah. I mean, if, but if you're going as deep as you are, you definitely got to go braid. Right. Otherwise, you're stretching probably 60 feet. Yeah. <laughs> but I think for the rod, too, you hit it now in the head. You want some play because I've had it where guys are using way too stiff of a rod and they're just getting popped and there's no give. You got to have them pull it in a little bit. Um, but you don't want it real spongy where it's unloading really fast and they're going to lose it. Um, you know, I, I have a million different rods just because I'm a junkie and I like to see what's out there and stuff, but I stick with like a seven foot Kistler. Um, I use both spinning rods and bait casting. I stick with bait casting most as my primary one, but if you get like once the water temp, uh, once the air temperature gets get pretty cold and you got like a five mile an hour wind, your guides are icing up bad. And just a little bit larger guides helps a little bit, even if you're spraying them down with rain X or something uh, with a real, what I'd like to get, I just don't really need another reel is with the eight to ones coming out. I would say if you're starting over, get that. Cause the Binsky's a slack game. Cause no, even if you're in tune, Kurt, like you said, you know, at some point, whether you're eating something, you're going to get caught high stick. <laughs> I always do. <laughs> so you can have a donut in your mouth. Your rod's going to be at 12 o'clock and you get popped. I mean, taking up 29, 31 inches of line is going to help. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. you know, uh, I think too, whether you, especially if you're using braid or something, no stretch. Uh, this is in our instructional video. I say you got to fight the cold fight. You know, I, I, I'm always on the front of my boat, man, and I catch fish, and guys are right there. They don't even know I caught a fish because I do not move. I'm not all over the place. Like again, you see a lot of it in TV shows and tournaments. The guys go do that switch. Not everybody's as good as a pro is like that. Most of your anglers are going to create slack when they go like that and that fish is gone. There's no reason to, unless you're trying to keep it from jumping away from cover, away from your motor. Don't move <laughs> follow the fish with your rod. And that's it. You have to fight the cold fight because again, 
with that small mouth and when you're letting it be letting it lay on the bottom and then fish come over it and they they pop on it you're hooking them on the outside of the mouth or under the chin like so many fish are caught under the chin mm-hmm. but I, I like a i like a seven foot rod seven foot one mm-hmm. uh, seven to one gear ratio but if i had to buy another reel i'd definitely be picking out one of those eight to ones heck yeah yeah, and like if I go to braid, I'm probably sticking to like ten pound tests with ten pound leader as well. All right, Andy, anything to add on that? So I I like two different rods. I do use an eight to one Corrado MGL, the seventy size reel, a ten pound fluoro. Um, when I'm vertical fishing it, I like a six ten extra fast tip, but parabolic in the middle. If I'm casting it away from the boat, I like a seven two, but the same action rod. So that's about it. And when I'm casting it, it's 30, 50, maybe 70 feet at most from the boat. Not bomb cast, like 100 feet, right. 150 feet. You yeah. lose action, then it starts tangling if you rip it too hard. It's a little harder to keep contact. Yeah, that much line, probably like so much slack control you'd have to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, probably casting would be better if I used braid to a floral bumper, but I just 99% of the time I'm vertical. Yeah, and if you're taking out someone new currently, like if you're using braid and they're not doing slack control, they're probably getting frustrated. Like the hooks are caught up in it. Yeah, <laughs> like dude, little bit slack and, control. Uh, it happens with fluoro too. It it, it happens. Yeah, so. it's a, that's a casualty of the technique. You only got so much surface area with two sets of trebles. It's going to happen, right. especially if you really rip it. Yeah. What I what I tell people is every and I do this subconsciously myself, but when I tell when I have people out, I tell them like every cast you make, click your bail over and basically just just pull on it a little bit, make sure she's not fouled up, and then let it fall to the bottom. I basically do that like without even thinking about it, but that's what I tell people just so that they don't get it down deep and then have it be fouled up. You know what I have a habit of doing, like with a bait caster, I do the flip out, it hits the water, and I pull the slack, and then I start to take up the slack. As it falls, just so you can feel a little bit of the like, vibration. I want to, con- I want to pull it out and then control the bow as it goes down. You know, that's intriguing. Point too. Yeah, Andy and I, when that same day when we were out, we started out with Binskis, and we were trying to just get them to trigger because the water temps were pretty warm for that for the time of year. So we were trying to rip it hard off the bottom and try to get just force them to eat, and it was like. I, I think it was my line. My line twist was horrible, and I was just being lazy of not retying. Uh, so it would get, like, hung up, like, on itself, like, probably after, like, five rips. And I was getting so frustrated with Andy. I'm like, I need to stop being lazy. I'm freaking retie this thing, and then finally I'll be fine. But uh, for folks that, like, maybe that they are having that issue, right, of maybe that the hooks are getting hooked on your line or what have you, is there is there a solution to that? Like, maybe – is are they potentially using a too big of a hook? You know what uh, what solutions are there if they are having that issue? One thing I do, and like this goes back to kind of like subconsciously, I kind of do this almost with most lures. Is if you're using it on spinning gear, and you could obviously do this with a bait caster too, but when when I'm casting a quarter ounce on uh, on spinning gear. At the end of the cast, I'm like just barely feathering the spool with the line going out, and it kind of straightens the bait as it enters the water instead of just flying in on slack line. Uh, obviously, if you grab the spool too hard, it's just going to like kick the bait and foul even more. But I'll basically just grab the spool and like lightly feather the line right as it's about to enter the water, and it kind of like seems to solve the issue for me. That's so, what you want to hook out. Right. That's like what you want to do with a Carolina rig, right? So when you cast out, your Carolina rig doesn't flop. 
you kind of tighten it up at the end so it lays. You know what I mean? It's going down the water column. But I think yeah. if you're lucky enough to have a Vince you last long enough and you need to change the hooks and you don't lose on bottom, I think definitely stick with a short shank hook. And, you know, good slack control in the fall. But, again, you're really going to screw yourself over. If you overdo that, you need to know the drop. Like, if you want to fish a drop, go up on it and look at the degree of the drop. So you kind of get an idea of how you want to control that slack because, again, you could over-control it and you landed and you're swung away and you missed 30 feet of what you thought you got. And yeah. you just missed, you know, a, take a 50-foot bank. And if you went down that 50-foot bank and you missed 30 foot every little spe- you made, you're missing fish. I fish behind people all the time and catch like that. Hmm. So it's that slack control. Don't over-control it. And then investigate the water. See what the that degree of drop is, so you know you're not swinging it away. That makes sense. Trying to you're mistakenly over penduluming your bait out too far is what you're trying to get. Yep, absolutely. Big sense. time. A lot of anglers miss water. Mm. Do you guys have like a, a favorite, you know, treble hook size for the Binsky for the quarter or the half, three quarter? I mean, six it for the half and three quarter, and then eight for the quarter ounce. Seems yeah. like, that seems to be good for me. Yeah, short shank, whatever brand, you know, something sharp. Something. Yeah, <laughs> you definitely pay attention to your hooks. I mean, Bailey, you you responded to someone uh, on Facebook like, "Hey, man, you know, you may lose baits, but that that bottom contact is critical. You have yeah. to be willing to risk to lose bait." Any avid blade baiter, I mean, Kurt, right? If if I get an order for like one or two. I'm like, this guy's just getting into Yeah, they don't know. I'm like, this guy's been fishing blade baits for a long time. Right. So, <laughs> but you have to pay attention to your hooks. I mean, sometimes you're joking around with your buddy and you don't, you forget to check them and you see you're work, up, uh, working up in them rocks and your corner bent over a little bit. Or you've caught so many hogs on Shimo Bay that the points start to dull because them <laughs> hogs are hard as a rock, them northern smallies you got. Right. Oh, they're terrible. The mouth is so hard. Yeah. I, the water gets so- it's just like it's just like a mega bass jerkbait. You know, I fish Champlain and catch three hundred smallmouth on them hooks. You know, I have a bag of those mega bass hooks. I'll just change them out real quick because them smallmouth will dull any hook out. That's true. Andy, anything to add on that? Um, no, I mean, basically, I have a, I I love the Binksy, uh Stock hooks are awesome until you catch about 50 fish on them. Then you start mm-hmm. pulling over points and stuff. And then basically the only hook I throw on it is a ST36 size 6. It's Love the owner ST36s, bro. Best hook. Yeah, best hook. The, the, dude, the, the cutting points, you ever try those for like your rattle traps? I have not yet, no. Bro, and, and, and uh, so the, the cutting points, what are the, the ST36s are needle points. Yeah. So the, the cutting point... I use them on my rattle traps. I've literally caught a, I caught a small bass about 12 inches and the back hooks got caught up on the fish and it filleted a flap of the skin. Those hooks are no joke. ST- are those the Zellwire ones? What was that? Are they like ST41s or 46s or something like that? It, they- they're ST36 cutting point. That's what I use okay. for rattle traps. And literally, shout out to owner ST36. I probably wouldn't have caught my share lunker in Texas without that hook. Oh dang! Yeah, I like those unbelievable. 
but it's funny I, the st36 i put them on everything <laughs> like the st36 is incredible it is yeah, i just uh i ordered a, like about a month back i ordered those new zo wires and i'm giving those a try on dubinsky now just to see how they work out versus the, the st36s they're nice too have you tried them on the Binsky? Nope. I'm too lazy. No. I like the stock hooks until I have to change. <laughs> you know, like I, I was tempted to try the mega bass hooks on them. You know what I mean? My buddy Jared puts the mega bass hooks on him and he swears by him. Really? Yeah. He swears. The stock by ones? I tried it, but he swears by it. Huh. Bailey is a mega bass hook hater. I, love I hate them. him. I can't so stand there's, them. There's three guys here that like the mega bass hooks and then Bailey's like, they're terrible. But you know what? Kurt, I break them all the time, dude. They all do the break time. But they're super sharp. They're sticky. So which brings- I'm not gonna swap treble hooks every like three fish. Like it's practice, it bro. <laughs> Dude, I'll be on champagne. I'll tell my buddy I gotta change hooks. And it's like you use the one hook as a starter, you put the other one behind it. I'm like done already. It's like a NASCAR, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's not. Yeah. But if Jared's using those, I mean, what is your view on it? I, I assume it might be great because they're sticky because of the way those smallmouth flash and they'll get in the skin but you probably have to monitor them a ton. Like what have you seen? You definitely have to monitor them a ton. They're also like a light hook. I don't know if that, how that affects the blade. I haven't, this is all Jared's uh, idea here, but he says he never loses fish on them and he fights them real light, which is part of it with those, with the mega bass hooks, but you probably go lighter line with it too. Yeah. Because they're so sharp. So maybe you can drop down to an eight with like a medium light rod. Right. Something to be inspected by us. Plus, too, I got to compare the shank size because they are kind of funky. Is it an illusion that the shank might be a little longer? Or it's just the look. Right. You know, or are they actually longer? I don't know. Something I, to investigate. I have them in my basement. I can go grab some real fast. <laughs> <laughs> we can Let's make it out right here. Like this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's I put have, them side by side. Stock, you know. I mean, I could go grab them. I have ST36s and the Mega Bass ones in my basement at we the moment. Check it out. Maybe we can help some fellow yeah. angler out there land a pig. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> He's actually going to get them. <laughs> hey, man, we're, this is turning into the Bass Lab, Billy. It is. See, this is this is where Andy comes in handy for me because Andy has the, uh, I guess the, the endurance to go through and try all these different variances. Where I'm just simple minded. I just want to catch a damn fish. Yeah. Where it's like I'll make small changes here and there, but like I'm not going to go out and test out five different treble hooks to see my new differences. I'm just simple minded in the fact that I just like I don't even have the mental patience. That's like me netting a bass, like I which. You probably should because of the reasons we're saying that smallmouth hit the binsky and the way they flash on the skin hook. Like, but I get so lazy, and if I once I'm on the fish, it'll kill me to untangle a hook when I'm sitting on probably some fish. You know what I mean? So, at yeah. prop sometimes I may drop a fish next to the boat, and I'm like, eh, you know, I had the fun out of it. So it's like a rig season. Like you, somebody pulls out the uh, the net for an a rig, and you're like, are you just gonna waste another ten minutes of your day trying to unhook everything? You know, it's funny while we're waiting there, you put that net away. <laughs> yep. Well, while we're waiting here, I got an A-Rick story. I was out Monday and uh, the bite was tough. Weather we had has been steady. And all of a sudden the fish kind of moved a little bit. They were real shy, but I found a pot of bait and there were some bass just cruising up and underneath them. Probably like eight marks. Right. I cast out. I'm like, oh, get me, get my A-Rig. I cast out the A-Rig and I've only caught a few fish on that. And uh, I'm about 75 foot away from the boat. And all eight, I see turn towards my Alabama rig coming. And I'm getting the jitters, man. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. This is awesome. They're coming. And 
One of them bumped it, and I got too excited for the rod load up. I set the hook, and then I look it down at my live, and setting the hook scared the living daylights out of that school. You just saw red marks go bloop, plastered <laughs> to the bottom. Yeah. Seen again. Go figure. So bummed, man. Yeah, I hear you. So, dude, let's uh, let's dive into while Andy is grabbing these treble hooks. Um, I'm kind of curious your guys's. I know each color has its purpose, but I'm curious about your guys's, you know, your go-to colors here and when you throw them. Oh, I I love them all so much. That's one thing. I mean, the gold and the silver are like the collector. <coughs> um, and they're great. I mean, I ha- I have those tied on like most of the time, uh, but I also have a rod on or a, a, a Binsky rigged up, like a red Binsky. That's one Steve Steve turned me on to the red uh, last year. I hadn't even used it until last year. Um, and that is killer on the really sunny days for me. I'm sure it catches on the cloudy days too. But I had a couple days last year where the red just took over. And, I mean, I think I only had a couple in the boat at the time. And then everyone on the – like I, I had a couple buddies out, and they were like, yo, give me one of them reds, dude. It was just – the red was really knocking them. Um, the Gobi Binsky is another really good one. Even on lakes with no Gobies, I fish a Otisco Lake a ton. There's no Gobies in there, but I mean they love the Gobi blade in that lake. I mean they just they just sack it for whatever reason. I don't know if they think it's a little little craw or I'm not even sure what they think it is. It just has that that perfect little color pattern that seems to like trigger them. Interesting. I think I, I remember you talking about that, Steve. That red. Dude, yeah. I mean, same thing Kurt just said. I had some experiences the last couple of years since we came out with the red where it just lit it up. Like I said, if I got multiple rods on the boat and then, you know, you have you definitely got to have a color one to throw that oddball in there and be like, if they're not going after the gold or silver. Yeah. But I definitely had some days where dude, the red just it, red. they reacted to it. Unbelievable. It just yeah. does something to them that day. Um, and then what's it? I think we're only on our second year. I should be able to tell you. But with the perch. I got some guys who are just like purchase my new favorite, man. That's it. You know, um, but smallmouth, you know, they crush perch. So I think it's just a good pattern. I mean, for anyone that's known how long we've been around, you know, you would think for as long as we've been around that we'd have a million colors, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to confuse anyone to get into it and be like, dude, what cut? Cause I get calls like that. What colors do I need to buy? And it'd be great if you ordered a ton of all of them, but I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> And be like, or <laughs> 30 of each because you never like start out, pick it out, get into the technique, get it down, then start experimenting with some of the odd colors. Um, but again, I don't come out with a color unless I'm 100% in on it and it's going to help you. We only have a couple because they're going to be the difference maker. And even this week I saw, um, I think, and I knew it would be like this. I think black would take a, a little bit to take on. But black, black too. I mean, look at black soft plastics. You know, black just yeah. works. Um, so, but black's black's in, uh, a secret. You know, I know guys for years were uh, the same size. Look at that. <laughs> All right. So I don't know if you it can looks see like that. you're holding the same hook practically. Yeah, and that's what I saw the difference. The only difference, really, it's hard to tell, is how far down. Like this has that weird belly shape, like a sickle shape to it on the Mega Bass, as to where the owner is round. That's the only real difference. But other than that, like they're pretty much the same. Hmm. I'm on vacation Thanksgiving week. This is going to happen. 
I'm going to change these up. <laughs> but uh, I know we're talking about colors lately. My favorite has been the chartreuse blue. Back. Yeah. I think that's good. You, you're big on that one. That's my favorite. I mean, I, I love that for all species, but when you're fishing, when we're talking trout, I'm like exclusively using the chartreuse. The sexy shad too, but the chartreuse just seems to grab the trout's attention. Just like, it's like, it's just like magic for them. And I can't really describe why it doesn't look like anything in nature, but they just, they seem to just slam it. When yeah, it gets flies. down to 130 foot too, it's going to change colors. Right. For sure. I mean, and I forgot sexy shad. That one's, that one's solid too. Like the colder the water gets, it, it matches Great the hat. Color. Everything gets pale. Mm -hmm. The sexy shad just is perfect. You get that opaque white. You know what I mean? That's a definitely a popular one with folks. That was, I think sexy shad was right behind silver and gold when yeah. we came out. That, that sexy shad was one like a huge player for me in like late September early October on, on the guide trips. That color like really took over for me. Heck yeah. Are you, uh, are you guys, I, I've seen people ask it before. Uh, and Steve, I believe we asked you on, on the original show we did last year of uh, trading out your O-rings for braid. People saw the whole video with Seth Fighter saying he does that with his blade baits. But do you guys do anything with your O-rings at all? I'm thinking, is it like is is it because like Seth Fighter, some of the water he's fishing are like these sandy flats, these bass crews? Because there's no way I'm putting that tedious time into that. I'll lose a fish first. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that just seems. You know, it's funny. You never, I've never seen a video, and it's maybe out there where it's start to finish. It's like, oh, I do this technique and I tie it up, but then the video cuts to when it's like done. I there's no way. Have you guys tried it? Uh, my my buddy Nolan was was describing that to me, and I was like, I'd never heard of that, and I was like, dude, you, you guys are crazy. Nolan Miner? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's done it? Yeah, well, I think so, or maybe his buddies did it. I don't know. We were just talking about it. I'd be afraid of the braid not slipping. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, with the coating and stuff on it. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. It's probably something with the knot, but to me, I'm not losing that many fish. You know, maybe people yeah. might jump to that because they're fighting the fish wrong, too aggressive, but... I don't know. Let's go back to lazy belly. I'm the kid. There's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> you said. Now we're talking. <laughs> I can't do it, man. Too tedious. I'll change hooks, but I'm that not sounds like a Nolan Minor comment. He for some reason seems to be anti Binsky. Yeah, I think it's just because we all love it so much. He's got to like play the devil's advocate. Yeah. So when we're all waxing him on blade baits, he can just sit in the back and beg yeah. for one. Drag his Ned rig. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> oh man. The closet uh, user, maybe you know. <laughs> <laughs> closet Pinsky user. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other variables that we might be missing that to cover the Binsky? I know we covered a lot tonight, from you know rod setup, real line, you know to to work in cadence, when to throw it. But is there any other variables that we should cover? <clears throat> I don't know, Kurt. You got anything? You're on the water with guys constantly with it. Um. Uh, I know we already said this, but definitely when you're casting to smallmouth. I know we we already brought this up, but not over casting. Like it's a bait you can bomb. You can cast that bait. I don't even want to know how many yards, but definitely focusing on what's right in front of the boat. And and a lot of times, I'm not like a scuba diver or anything, but I always think when I'm working the blade. 
I always think like if I were to put on scuba gear and go down there, I would see fish down there right underneath where my boat is. So don't think <clears throat> not getting it. And this goes with a lot of lures, but especially the blade. Don't think just because you're not getting a bite on that very cast that there aren't fish around you. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if you were to put 90% of the time, if you were to put, if you're in a good area, if you were to put like scuba gear on and go down there and look, there's fish down there. You just got to sit there and be a little bit, a little bit patient and have a little bit of confidence. Confidence, like you said, you're right. And you, the, the cast before with that vibration, you might've called fish in. So, you know, two casts might've called it in. It's the third one that's going to take for them to be in the area where you lured them into in order for him to hit. So that's, that's a good point. I think too, and, and Andrew, maybe your experience, cause you, in multiple conversations, you touched on it, that you might, you guys do pretty good dropping straight down on them. But I feel sometimes, I can, sometimes they don't react to dropping on them. They, they want you to cast. So in, if I'm in a snaggy area and I find them, I'll try to slowly move up on them. So I'm taking as short a cast as possible to remove the snag opportunity. Mm -hmm. But then I feel if they're not reacting, you got to back off. They want to cast. I just feel like sometimes you don't want to just be like, oh, I found fish. I'm going to vertical drop them. It, they're not funny. casting. When I'm out in the lake, like when I'm in Lake Erie, I catch more vertical fishing them. But when I'm in a river system, I catch more casting it. So because they're more current related fish. So it's like <laughs> yeah. it's, it's kind of weird, but yeah. A little bit of little bit to do with what body of water you're talking about because going back to like Steve and I are both I grew up in I grew up in New Jersey um, and those bodies of water are so pressured that those fish know they know like the trolling motor buzz they know your sonar ping when you're right over top of them it definitely a lot of the time is more difficult to catch them where the casting is they'll they'll react to it better uh, I was just up on some bays on Lake Ontario. And we're, I'm in 25 feet of water, and there was a million smallmouth underneath me, and they did not care that my boat was right over top of them. So I, it kind of it depends on what kind of water you're talking about. I probably catch 90% of my fish on a cast. Yeah, me too. Crazy. Yeah, the difference. And I think it depends on how deep of water you're fishing, too. Yeah. It's funny, like, you, other technique stuff, I think another thing a lot of anglers don't pay attention to is, like, they're on the spot. There's hardly any wind but they're still making the minor adjustments on their motor with it on like 90. <laughs> you right. know, and you turn your head because they just like whoosh. <laughs> water. It's like, you just displaced water so much on a fish. It's like us getting a gust of wind. Yeah. You know? <laughs> guy, it's flat calm. He's like, you know, a quarter mile away and just hear. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. Throw a motor cracking. Yeah. I think it's an important thing to pay attention to is that, once you get in dot on your spot, like turn the motor down as much as you can. Yeah, slow down, right? Yeah. I feel like a lot of people when when they first like even when I when I'm when I fish with buddies, they come out with me and they're like, "Why are we still here?" I'm like, "There's fish here, you know." Like I fish real slow with that blade, and I work the boat real slow. I'll sit on spot lock for twenty minutes, thirty minutes, so I think there's fish there. Yeah, confidence is everything. I mean, they're they're just. Talking to customers, man, they start out with like, well, my buddy's got these, so I'm going to buy one. And then they, they, the enthusiasm, once they start catching on it, it, it's definitely a bait where you must fish with confidence. Mm -hmm. No fish movements, know how they set up and be like, I'm looking on my home lake and go, fish should be here and catchable on a blade this time of year. Yeah, I, I think that, the you know, Kurt talked about it earlier of, you know, 
being slow and methodical, especially within your tree. But I think that should just be the general theme of when you are throwing a Binsky or a blade bait. Cause it's not really a bait that, you know, besides the guys, Steve, that say that they're throwing it in place of a trap. I mean, this might be the, you know, the, the outlier to this rule, but I think just the general <laughs> theme should be slow and methodical. It's not a bait that you're going to cover water with. Uh, one, you're going to fish high percentage areas with. Funny as you meant the, the trap thing. Destin was telling me that burning blades like in Florida was becoming like a big thing, like a technique. I remember him saying that too. And I've had a couple orders from Florida or stuff like that, but yeah, I've had a couple of people tell me like that. They saw some people doing that. So interesting. I wonder if it's just a different mm-hmm. vibration from a rattle trap. Maybe that tighter vibration, no sound. I mean, silent rattle traps became a thing. More and more companies coming out with them. Yeah, um, I saw I saw a cool video. Uh, I think it was on Mike Eccanelli's channel last winter. He was on like the the upper Sus or the lower Susquehanna, kind of like by the flats there. And he was by the dock pilings, and he was yeah. lipping a blade, like in, in only a couple feet of water. I, I think it was with some uh, some other like a YouTuber. I don't really remember the, the specific video, but they were like flipping blades at dock pilings, like where you'd throw a Texas rig, and it was like later in the season, only in like one, two, three foot of water, and they started like cracking them out. That was like a really cool thing. I've never tried. Before. My my brother was just fishing with his club this past weekend, and the fishing was really tough. And he was talking to a guy at the ramp. And the guy did pretty good. And my brother's like, what are you doing? The guy's like, well, you know, you guys aren't here that often. You know, you're not fishing against us or, not, or me or anything. And the guy's like, I'll tell you what I'm doing. He's like, I'm throwing this lure right here. It's called a Binsky. It's <laughs> <laughs> <was> like, oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> it's like, it's happened to him a couple times. But uh, my brother's like, yeah, I, I kind of know the guy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the guy was my brother. <laughs> yeah, I think he was throwing like the, the gold half on some pilings. I've been meaning to do that. It's probably it, it's a two hour ride to the flats from my house, and every year I say I'm going to do it. I've talked to Brian Stockle, you know, who does the Ike Live show, and yeah. I can't. I just haven't done it. You only got so much time, and the weather's got to be right. You want a good tide, but that's a big technique, man. When I when I first came out, <laughs> I had a guy call me, and uh, he was telling me he was doing that down there. He was telling me all these baits he wanted. I was putting the order. I'm like, no, that's like 350 bucks. He's like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Blades on those pilings is a big deal down there when it gets to this time of year and all winter because, you know, with it being tidal, it it takes a lot for it to freeze, I guess. That's pretty wicked cool. I didn't know that. That's that's some juice for today. And they get some giants, bro. That Chesapeake. Yeah. Big fish. That's for sure. But uh, I think here's here's one last question, and then we'll uh, we got a fun question for you guys before we wrap it up. But um, so the different holes in the back of the Binsky where you can connect that snap to, do you guys switch that at all, or do you always keep it on the middle? Good, Kurt. I if for me, I have it. If we're talking counting from the front, so if the one closest to the eye is hole number one, and so on. I have it in the third hole for myself 100% of the time. I love the third hole. Uh, it just seems to be like the most responsive for the way I fish. I used to fish on the second hole, but my buddy Eric turned me on to putting it in the third hole, and that seems to do seems to do great for me. I know that it responds differently 
um, obviously when you put them in the different different positions. But for me, if I, if I only had that third position, I would be fine with it. Third's great for new people because it's the most consistent vibration. You know, second is consistent, slightly softer. So it's good. So you can stick with the half ounce size. But if you don't want the aggressive vibration, that might turn them off or freak them out. It's good. Vertical jigging, the fourth hole, is you almost get like a crawfish kickback. It almost like goes back. That's like a 180. Yeah. And then, you know, the front hole is going to be soft. And, and if you want it to like just do a, like a flip, the extreme front and back holes are the best. If you want a consistent vibration, second and third, third being hardest, and the second's going to just be a little bit softer vibration. But, you know, if you're in Kurt shoes and you're trying to teach people to use it and have the confidence and you're getting into not overworking it, you definitely want the third hole if you're starting to use this bait until you get confidence because then you know it's working. you got to get out of your head that is it working. Right. The, 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 the positions are were designed to be the way are and function. If it's in that hole, it's working. Believe me. So That's wicked. That's, that's a good general rule of thumb. Kind of lay it out there for folks that are using the bins. Yep. Um, Andy, anything else for these guys before we wrap things up? Oh, let's end with the last question. All right, I, Steve. I believe we hit you with this last year, but Kurt obviously he's new to the show, so he's not going to hit the question before. Uh, but Steve, we're going to make you go another round of it. Um, so I, I expect I want three answers from you guys each. Uh, to this question, and that is, if you could sit down, have a steak and a beer with any three individuals of your choosing, they could be presently alive now or alive a thousand years ago, doesn't matter, doesn't even have to be fishing, any three individuals you want to sit down, have a beer or a steak, pick their brain, who are you going to invite? That's a different Whatever you guys want to answer, let her in. Jimmy is one of them. Thinking, for, thinking of three, but w- one person that definitely comes to mind is Larry Dahlberg. I don't know if you guys know Larry Dahlberg. I don't know. Since I was a little kid, I've like idolized that guy and just the fish that he has mastered all over the world. And the I always, the whopper plopper. Everyone's a master of their area, and they're always um, like I fish the Finger Lakes, and I I feel like I've dialed in the lakes to a certain extent, and. It feels like I'm spending so much time in this one area dialing it in, but that guy literally like dominated fishing all over the entire world, and and yeah. I, I just have so much respect for what that guy did, and I would love to sit down with that dude and just pick his brain and just talk some fishing. Heck yeah, yeah. fisherman! I like I like a guy who kept it fun, Jimmy Houston. To me, as a kid, like to me, I get excited about his fishing show now because he didn't change his theme music. Like I get chills. Because I remember, like, he's the reason Peacock Bass is on my bucket list. I- I've never forget seeing the fishing show where he did it, and it starts off where he's just going down a thin canal on his boat just by himself, and he's looking left and right, and you hear the monkeys, and he's catching piranha, and then he catches a peacock bass, and it's just like, you know, I, I-, I think the guy keeps it fun. He He's also a great fisherman, you know. Uh do you guys, uh, I don't know if any of you guys uh, watch. I know, I know a bunch of our our viewers and uh, listeners do, but Alex Rudd is a, a buddy of ours, and he has a YouTube channel. He just fished with Jimmy Houston. They went to Jimmy's house, and he literally has, like, his own, like, he has, like, pet deer. Like, he goes out and makes, like, like you know how, like, with 
dogs or cats you shake like a, the treat bottle or something like that and they'll come running he has that like deer on command like he just shakes like a bag and the deer all come running i don't know it was something kind of weird but if, if you get a second steve you'll probably enjoy that video if you go to alex rudd on youtube he's got a fishing with jimmy houston and it, it's actually pretty funny jimmy kind of like opens up and he's loopy like he is known for at least i think uh, i'm trying to think of anyone else fishermen keep popping in my head you know? That's fine. Thank you. Got number two. To me, a guy that surprised me because when I watched him at Bassmaster, I just had a different impression of him. I was at I was up at Oneida one time, and it was the final day of the final tournament on the Bassmaster Elites, and uh, I was on the way home from Canada. And I told my buddy, "I'm like, dude, the Elites are on, you know, uh, Oneida. Let's just stop and get a hotel room, you know." So we watched it. And that year, Kevin Van Dam won Angle of the Year, but. The final day, Greg Hackney didn't make the cut, and the, some of the pros were at like their sponsored booths or something like that. And I was like, "Shoot, let me talk to him." And he was like the most awesome guy. And I, I, I just had a different impression in my head. He seemed like I don't know he had like an aggra- back then he had like an aggressive kind of look or something like that. But he was the nicest guy. Gave you his time. He didn't rush you off. We're just BSing about like deep fishing. He was talking about like someone had just won a tournament. I don't know if you remember this because you're up there, Andrew, like around Erie, but it was one of the Japanese anglers, one drop shot in smallmouth, like in 90. Yeah. And we were talking about that tournament. Like, dude, how, how do you find in that body of water, nine fish suspended in 90 foot? You That's know? just when like you're eating your sandwich and lunch and you're just idling out of an area and you see that on accident. That's definitely one of those where it's like, oh, look at that. There's fish there. Let's turn around and try that. You know, it's That's crazy. Cool. Too. thing is I know like 10 people that have tried to duplicate that pattern uh-huh. where he was fishing. No one can figure out what he was doing. Do you think it was that case where he was just, just stumbled across it? No, I think I have theories and out there that they don't really say, I think he was following walleye boats around cause the walleye chased bait. So I think he was out there looking for bait schools with trolling walleye boats and dropping into the bait schools and catching smallies. It's a great theory. It's got to be so, – the body of water is just too big. Yeah. Like I'm going to graft this ocean. Yeah, because they would be there one day, gone the next. I, I honestly think he was chasing walleye boats. Hmm. That's a good theory. Yeah. Shoot, I know when we were just- or he actually caught him in like fifty foot of water and told everybody he was catching him over ninety, and his graph was all messed up. Yeah, that's a hell. <laughs> I know, like to Bailey's point, when I was just in Champlain, that that them fish we got in fifty six foot of water. It was the end of the the evening. We're running out of daylight. Um, I just beat the heck out of a spot all day, so um, I was idling, going, "What should we do?" Run out of time, and the screen just lit up. You know, so. Didn't do anything special, but idle didn't happen to come across them. That's, he- how, that's how we found those Ontario fish the other day. We were fishing these shoals. I was, I've been to a, it was a bay I'd never been to before. It was like two weeks ago. And we're fishing all the obvious shoals that we're seeing on the on the graph, and and we did well, but not crazy numbers. Big fish, but not crazy numbers. And eventually, we like kind of started to switch gears. Like let's let's rig up some pike rigs and go pike fishing. We just started drifting, real stiff wind, drifting for like 20 minutes, rigging up, having lunch. And all of a sudden, I just look at the graph, and it was just lit up. We're in the middle of the bay, no structure, nothing. And I just threw a Binsky over, five-pounder, first cast. And then we just spot-locked and stayed there the rest of the trip. Yeah, yeah, I literally walk in the door from work, and 
it's a FaceTime from Kurt. I'm like, he must have done that by accident. No, they're freaking – he's telling me about a 6-3 and Jared hooks a 5-5. Five, five. Yeah. Like, they were lighting it up. Unreal fishing. That was like – that was the best bass fishing I've ever seen. All right. So, uh, Kurt, next time Erie's on, I'm going to shoot you a message and be like, you need to get here tomorrow. Cancel your trips. All right. Sign me up. Because it's way better than Ontario. <laughs> really? That's what, I'm saying. That's what I was going from the minute it goes right back to the first conversation. I'm never sending you guys pics because you guys are used to. Like, even your personal best is largemouth. The way that thing was built. Oh, yeah. That thing was dumb. I think it was only 21 inches. I was just wondering how many inches it looked like it was 21, something like that. It was 21 not, inch, it was 7 2. Yeah, it was a 7 2. I, I love that kind of dimensions, man. That width, that girth, man. It's. I wish I had a, a soft tape measure that day because I was convinced that it was wider than it was long. <laughs> it could have been. It was a it was a swimming blimp. It was just it was nuts. Like it looked like I swallowed a bowling ball and it just had gills. Seven pounds is the biggest largemouth I've ever gotten on a Binsky too, by the way. No, that That's sounds so giant. Yeah, caught that in a silver half ounce. You know what's funny too? I catch a lot of big fish blading as soon as it gets light out. Like it, it, there was when I caught that fish. I actually, there wasn't enough daylight to get some good pictures. I actually had to live well it for a little bit to get some quality picks. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know why that statement just made me laugh. I had to wait a little while to get quality picks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I can't daylight. Some good ones. Can you guys hear the wind from my? Uh, you can. Oh yeah, it's ripping. Lake Erie, Lake Erie's about to be mud for the next like week and a half. Really? Yeah, like we're not gonna be bass fishing for at least two weeks. So. Well, Andy won't, but I'll take the kayak on the inland lakes. I'll go. Uh, out I, I'll go. Today. I'll go inland lake hopping. I don't care. Justin told me yesterday he was predicting <laughs> that we're gonna be able to. He, well, where you guys are, he's like, we're. I think we're gonna be able to bleed well into December. Absolutely. You think? Absolutely. It's been it's a very warm fall. Our water temp is 55 degrees. Normally yeah. right now it's 48. What's crazy, we're like right around the same thing. I, I was telling Dustin, say, I think I had 53.6 Monday. Yeah. We're but 55, weather. 35 foot down. But the weather coming in tonight, like that wind is starting here. It's not as bad as what Bailey's saying, but like our forecast for like tomorrow, Saturday, it's like you watch the local news. They have the wind or the breezy icon yeah. on <laughs> four out of the next seven days. Oh, yeah, we're going to get snow Sunday, Monday, and then by Wednesday, it's going to be in the 50s again. Weird, wow. Man. Yeah, it's a, strange, it's a strange fall. We, our water temps are just like you said, like we're still 53, 54, 55, which to me, I like the I like the warm fall because it lets me it lets me Binsky until until forever. Yeah. <laughs> Binsky forever. Nice. Yeah. Do you, are you shutting down, Kurt? Like, are you just until hard water? No, well, Cayuga and Seneca don't freeze, so I I keep going. I I fish, and I do. Obviously, it's my slower season guide wise. But some of the best, if you are up to fish in the cold, some of the best sport fishing we have in the Finger Lakes is in January, February, and March for the Atlantic salmon, the lake trout. It's all shallow, and you think of a lot of people think of trout. They think of 
stream fishing. This is like we're on a lake. We're casting Vision 110s. You can catch the Atlantic salmon on Zara spooks in the middle of the winter. They come up and blast it like a large mouth. That's insane. Wait, say what again? Say what now? The Atlantic salmon. So they're an Atlantic salmon. They're designed to be in like Nova Scotia. And we have them. They range from like 2 to 12, 13 pounds. That's a big one. And um, 35, 36 degree water, they'll come up and blast a Zara spook like a large mouth. Like, or a small. Stupid man, I'm, can you tell me when that's going? Because I want to do that. Any, yeah, I, I want in on that. <laughs> Walking the dog for an Atlantic salmon. I'm so, I'm so serious. I'm so serious. Yeah. Like a big white super spook, yeah. like bone colored. Fired up. That's like everything else in the lake is like low and slow, and the salmon you'll have like ten of them on it at one time. They're all glowing, <laughs> and they're just blowing it up. It's amazing. You know, it's before they get. It gets really cold. They help. They all expose the bait for me because they're just so aggressive and yeah. push it so hard. Yeah, they put right. They push it so hard, man, and they expose. And it's still not too cold, or the bass are still following them a little lethargically, but they'll be underneath them as some salmon are going nuts. Yeah, the salmon are just crazy, man. So I'm just picturing they having like so twenty hard. layers on, and you're just bundled up, and you're just walking a scoop. Just like <laughs> it sounds funny, but like it's not like every week, two or three days that are totally boatable and not that bad. Yeah. I mean, you have your you have your cold spells where it's like below freezing for a week at a time. But I mean, I don't know how the winters have been going the past like three or four winters. Hopefully this winter, too. You have like three totally boatable days where it's like high 30s, low 40s and like not too windy, which is total. That's like salmon time to me. So a salmon on a spook, all right, you're walking the dog, you do it slow, and it's like a heron flipping on top. But I want to see the whopper plopper salmon. That I have not done yet, but just even something, walking the dog or even, this sounds stupid, but just reeling a spook, like making a wake. <laughs> yeah. Surface. We got <laughs> like my hot dogs. across the surface. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ruining an hors d'oeuvre on top of the water. Just Come you ever get it, boys. <laughs> Yeah. If you forget your spook, just put a trouble hook on a pickle. <clears throat> yeah, trouble hooks on a pickle. You're good. <laughs> Herring flavored pickle. I'm coming out this winter, Kurt. I want to do that. I, I, I've made that. It's, it's after you saying that. It's my dying wish. My top of my bucket list is to catch a salmon on top water in the middle of winter. In New York. It sounds crazy, but you get out here and you'll be like, oh, it's really like that. I believe you. I believe you a thousand percent. Are we talking like one fish or are you talking like 50? Like is it all day madness? 50 is a great day, but it's like great action. If you have a jerk bait and you have a top water in your hand, you'd be amazed at how aggressive these fish are in the winter. And what are you talking? Have you tried like a big spy bait for them, just like slow yeah. rolling underneath the surface? Dude, they want speed out here. Those Atlantics, like the like you could catch them on Kitex and stuff, but like you a like a crocodile spoon, a fast vision one ten, and then just like I like I said, like reeling a spook. <laughs> yeah. They're definitely like speed oriented. Huh. Like it makes you I wonder if they'd eat like a super fast like prop bait. Like, yeah. just like maybe I I, I don't know. <laughs> like, this sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. Like like uh, peacock bass though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> dude, if we get like perfect weather, man, you'd be like, dude, there's no wind for the next three days. So I'm get up here. I'm gonna have to see if I can finagle that. Yeah, man. And like, I'm like, we're all like intrigued by 
salmon on steak. I know. So like, let's go. How, how many we? How many are you catching a day doing that? Uh I mean, it 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 depends on the day. It's 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 fishing. It, every day is different, but it's like tough days are pretty rare when the, when the bite's on. Um, I mean, you can you can go out there and catch eight, ten fish. We've I've had a fifty fish day before. Um, so anywhere in that anywhere in that range, kind of depends on the conditions and the. And that's the, all on top water. Jerk baits and top water. Jerk jerk baits are the crowd favorite, but when they're fired up, they come up and they nail a top water. I can just imagine the explosion from like a ten pound Atlantic. So aggressive. And they they probably jump like eighty times too because they're nuts. Yeah, they 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 it's <laughs> it's like catching it's like catching like a freshwater tarpon. That's like how the fight's like. Yeah, bro, the you Atlantics are no no joke. Yeah, I, I I honestly might be leaning more towards asking to come out with a camera and let me film the explosions <laughs> versus actually I want to catch one. <laughs> like I just want to film it all. Kurt, you know how many hits you'll get if you have a, a YouTube video titled Zara Spooking Atlantic Salmon? I know, yeah, that's true. I about <laughs> I'm tuning in, man. I'm viral. Bait. Yeah. Just let me let me come with a camera and I'll just film slow-mo just of the bait the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I just want to see it get destroyed. I, I we we gotta make this happen. <laughs> video footage of that, man. That'd be wild. You will be set for guide trips for the rest of your life. <laughs> I think that'll be Kurt's second appearance on Sears Regular Podcast. Who <laughs> can Atlantic Salmon? We need another hour and a half. <laughs> we, can, we can do it live. Live on the water with Kurt. Yeah. He's like, man, I gave up some juice. Crap. He's like, damn it. No, no, no. It's, it, it's one, it needs to be, the world needs to know. All right, I guess I'm setting it up. I'm coming with camera gear. We're getting this. We're getting it out. All right, sounds like a plan. All right, you let us know. I'm serious. I will come out there and film that for you. All right. Well, it's not even far from you. I'm talking like on Cayuga and Seneca Lake, so it's not. It's that's like where you are in your area. Yeah, I moved to Buffalo now, but yeah, that's that it's, was it's like two hours. There. It's not terrible. I'm no, nah, that's fine. That's yeah. still close. I'm coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to. I'm sign me up. All right, <laughs> let's do it. We're gonna make this happen. All right. Well, you guys got anything left for tonight before we sign off here? Nah, thanks for having me, man. It was good. Yeah, and it was great to have you again. On too. Yeah, it was good yeah. talking. Appreciate it. Kurt, are you coming to Jersey for the holidays at all? I'll, I will be back in like two weeks. I don't even know what the date is today, but whenever Thanksgiving is, I will be in Jersey. <laughs> if you want to get on the water, let me know. Sounds like a plan. I'll let you know. Yeah, sure. All right, boys. Well, Andy, I don't think we have much to even really close with here tonight. Um, I think it's just really for, for us is folks, uh, remember we have that Hobie eyewear sale going on. So if you guys want to use that code, it's down in the description. And uh, if you're looking to get some Binskis in your hand, we have that link down below as well. It'll take you right to the website and order you some Binskis. Uh, right. if, you, if you haven't wanted to order Binsky after tonight's episode, I really don't know what other further convincing <laughs> needs to be given. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I, I will say get your orders in because it's it's funny we're doing this podcast now. I was talking to my buddy, our manufacturer. I hope we get some baits because there's supply chain issues all over the country. If you guys are going on Tackle Warehouse, you're seeing the oh, issue. Brutal. It's like it I'm going nuts ordering flatworms. Like if telling Dust, Destin where I'm getting them from every day. Like. It's just nuts. So the other thing is, too, is, of course, with everything else, we got hit with uh, 
I got an order coming in with a price increase. So between that and U.S. Postal taking advantage of the holiday season, we're going to have to do something. I'm just trying to keep it as limited as possible. But, you know, I want to give everybody that's tuning in and supporting Binsky, you know, a heads up. So get your orders in now because I'm going to hold it off as much as I can. But All right. So you heard it there, guys. Make sure you guys hit that link quick. Get your orders in. I got an order uh, too. I'm low. (laughs) <laughs> sounds like restocking time for andy but uh folks we appreciate you guys tuning in as always we will see you guys on the next one well that was an awesome show hope you guys enjoyed it if you can and your app allows it please leave us a rating and review it really helps us get seen more which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Searsanga fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.